Okay, are y'all ready to rebound? <laughs> I sure hope so. We may take a while. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the time that you've given us. Time is so valuable and it goes so quickly. We pray that you'll help us to redeem the time through studying your word, thanking your word, and applying your word. We thank you that you have done everything for us to be able to absorb it, to understand it, put it in a long-term memory. It's all because of your grace. So again, this evening we pray that you will help us to absorb it in full measure, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> By the way, today is September the 16th. 2010. <clears throat> Excuse me. I forgot to get my Bible out of my briefcase here. So if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll see my new invention. I got tired of wearing my shoes out looking for them. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter five. And we're going to start with verse twelve this evening. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And let's look at um, verse 12 and 13. We'll read it in our Bibles first. Because you have one sentence from verse 12 to nearly the end of verse 13. And then you have another short sentence after uh, that sentence is ended in verse 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I doubt that we'll get any further than that this evening, but if you have a Bible that has pericopes, you'll notice that this is a change. You all know what pericopes are, right? Pericopes are the little headings, the little titles. If you have a study Bible, many times, like after verse 11, I have a New American Standard Ryrie Study Bible. And my, you, I have there, it says, D, teaching concerning various duties. That's called a pericope. And so, of course, this has nothing to do with the, <laughs> with the Bible. This is just how it's helpful uh, sometimes as uh, for people to show that something is changing now. The, the whole context, or at least the subject matter, is changing from what we had in verses 1 through 11 in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and now it's changing, and now it's going to be uh, dealing with various 
various duties. So let me get my notes over here where I want to be. And you can look up here, or you can uh, make notations in your Bible as we go. So we have a, a change in subject matter. Wait a minute, I'm still in 11, aren't I? Okay. That's where I want to be right here. Can you all see that all right? Can you see that, Michael? Okay. <clears throat> so this starts out with the word but. And so that's my first word that we are going to analyze. It's the Greek word de, D-E. And it is a post-positive conjunction that can be translated and, now, or but. Uh, a a post-positive conjunction means that this word in the Greek, de, is never the first word in the sentence. In its placement, it always is the second word, but it always is translated first. You understand what I'm saying? So if you were reading a Greek Bible, instead of it saying, uh, but we, it would be we, but. Because a, that's what makes it post-positive. Always the second word is where you'll find it, but when you translate it, it's always the first word. And it can be one of these three uh, meanings, and, now, or but. It just depends on the context. Now, the New American Standard Version and the Revised Standard Version translate this word, but. That's what we have in the New American here. Now, the King James Version, New King James Version, translates it, and. And the NIV, New International Version, translates it, now. And probably the better translation would be and or now because uh, there is uh, no contrast of thought in what was previously stated. In other words, the, what was said earlier is focusing on a certain uh, aspect of something and now it's still dealing with believers, still giving them pertinent information and it has to do with the church. So it's not that big a contrast. So I would translate it either and or but. Even though you have a pericope in your, if you have a study Bible showing that there is a change there, uh, it's, uh, usually but, if it's used but, is contrasting it as something uh, different, comparing what you had before with something now that is different than what you had before. Uh, uh, this one is hot, this one is cold. This is, this is hot, but this one is cold. That kind of contrast. So the next phrase we have, we start out with and or now. We request of you, brethren. Paul and his companions kept on asking, this is the present active indicative, something of the Thessalonian believers. And so this is not a command right here, but it is a request. And then we have the word that you appreciate. But we request of you, and he is talking to brethren, he is talking to fellow believers, that you appreciate. Now this word appreciate is oida, and it's an infinitive. It's a perfect active infinitive. An infinitive doesn't have a mood. It just gives you the tense and voice. And so it's in the 
perfect tense in the active voice. It means to know, recognize, honor, or acknowledge the high status of a person or event. The Greek word oida, as some of the guys in here will recognize, is a tough word because uh, the Greek word doesn't look anything like oida when it is in the perfect active. You would not even come close to recognizing it. It's one of those words you just have to memorize and out of practice recognize what it is. But when there's something in the perfect tense, we usually slow down because the author could have just as easily made it in the aorist tense, and that is a nondescript. He's, when when a, a verb is in the aorist tense, it's just telling you that something happened. It's not telling you whether it has ongoing uh, results or if it was continuous action in the past. Or if it, it, all it's saying is that it happened. So when he uses the perfect tense, he is specifically letting you know that this was an action that was completed in the past and now he is emphasizing and focusing on the continuing results from that action. That's why you have to really uh, take notice of the of perfect tense. So this is something in our society that our society has little of these days and we take so much for granted and parents aren't teaching their children proper respect or gratitude for others. And that's unfortunate. I think in my generation, boy, you better say thank you when somebody gave you something. Because if, if you were fortunate, your, your parent might look at you and say, what do you say when somebody gives you something? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, thank you, ma'am. Uh, uh, thank you, sir. You, you, you learn that early on, and that's instilled in you. And it's not just that you say those two words. Right, they're so easy to say. How hard is it to say thank you? One of the easiest things in the world, and yet it means so much. You don't have to add to it. You don't have to, just those two words have tremendous meaning to them. In fact, when those words aren't expressed, it gives a person who has extended themselves, who has have given you something, uh, not for a price. They, they, they. It's an expression of their love, their care, their devotion to you, whatever it is. They've done that. And if someone doesn't show an appreciation by simply saying thank you, then the other person can very easily think, well, they really don't appreciate it. And there's a, uh, some would make an argument, well, they appreciate it inside. Well, um, I think that if you truly appreciate something, you're going to let it be known by letting someone know that you have gratitude. You appreciate what they do. I don't know. This is one thing I harp on sometimes, that anytime somebody does something for you, they fix something for you, they make something for you, even if they go out and buy something for you, that's extending themselves when they need to be doing other things. You don't know how hard it is to fix something, maybe. You don't know how hard it is to make something until you try. Now, for me, I, I would rather make something than go out into a store and buy something because that is nearly, that's borders on torture for me, especially around Christmas time. Oh, man. I'm already out of fellowship before I even get in the store. 
I'm out there in the parking lot and I'm already grinding my teeth. What are all these people in the parking lot? I'm just grumbling and everything before I even get in the store. So what kind of decisions am I going to make in here? It gets worse in the store. You know, you're elbowing and doing all this. I can just walk into a department store. Now, there's very, very few times that you'll catch me in a department store. And when I do go to an department store, I don't know what it is, but as soon as I go through those doors, fatigue hits me like I can't even hardly stand up. I can't even make it hardly to the first counter. I'm just tired. I think it might be the fluorescent lights. I don't know. Whatever it is, I don't want to be in there very long. And if I have to be in there for whatever reason, I am zeroed in on what I'm going to get, and as soon as I get it, I'm out of there as fast as I can get. So if I ever buy you something from a department store, (laughs) you better say thank you. Let me put it that way. It's not hard, is it? It's not hard to say thank you. And it means so much. You know, I think that even if you don't have that proper appreciation and showing gratitude, that you have a soul kink, that you really don't have capacity for life and you're arrogant because you take everything for granted. And so many times people that have that attitude think they are the center of the universe. And everybody was created to be at their beck and call and... Maybe that's overdoing it, but maybe not. I don't know. And if if you are a parent, you are crippling your children socially by not teaching them how to have proper appreciation. I think it would be a good good idea if when someone uh, comes and gives little Johnny something and he just takes it and walks off, say, whoop, whoop, come here, come here, come here. What is it? Give it back. What do you mean give it back? You didn't say thank you. That's what happens when you don't say thank you. Give it back. That might be a good a good tool for someone to remember to say thank you. Oh, that's cruel and unjust punishment, isn't it? Might have the CPS on you. Paul was the Paul was with the Thessalonians a short time, so they came believer became believers about the same time. In other words, Paul Went into Thessalonica. There was no one there, Thessalonica rather, and there was no one there but just unbelievers. So everyone was essentially converted about the same time. It was, some say he was only there a couple of weeks. We don't know how long it was, but we do know that it was somewhat of a short time. So it would be natural for some to wonder why they should respect and appreciate other believers who had not been saved any longer than they were. And what we're talking about, this word appreciate, has with it the idea of honor, respect. See right here? To know, to recognize, to honor, to acknowledge the high status of a person or event. That's what this word means. And so when we get down here and we see that, this, that these people are required to do this, they look at some, some uh, guy that had the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher. That was his spiritual gift when he was saved. And now Paul is requiring them to give proper honor and respect to this person. And they're kind of putting their hands on their hips and looking and thinking, wait a minute, he was saved the same time I was. 
What makes him so special? Why should I respect him in a special way when he's not been a believer any longer than I have? That's the idea that I'm presenting here. Of course, God has given some men spiritual gifts that carry authority, and it is that authority that demands respect. Sometimes a younger man may a man becomes the pastor of a church, and there are believers there twice his age who were saved before he was even born. But they are still to recognize the authority of the spiritual gift God, the Holy Spirit, gave him. As I said, I'm going to have two young men fill in for me. And they are <laughs> much younger than I am. Probably about half my age, I would guess. Something like that. And it doesn't matter what their age happens to be. What matters is if they have the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher. That gift has authority with it. And that is what demands respect and honor. And that's one reason that Paul is making a, a point of this because he knew that that would be the tendency of believers to look at these young whippersnappers or somebody that has only been a believer for a couple of months and we respect them. This is what he's talking about is the spiritual gift. <clears throat> now this is a quote. It's a quote from uh, R.B. Theme Jr. in his class notes for 1 Thessalonians 5. And he says this, and in context, he was talking about appreciation. This appreciation is recognition of leadership and authority. Whenever you, whenever you go there, must be wherever you go, there must be leadership. There must be those who assume responsibility for the sheep. In verses 12 and 13, we have the principle of recognition of leadership and authority. So this word carries that with it and as we go on in the context of these two verses you'll see that certainly applies I got this quote from the commentary of critical and explanatory exp a commentary critical and exp uh, explanatory on the Old and New Testament this is from uh, uh, A.R. Brown. He says, No, that is the word no, which means appreciate, is to have a regard and respect for. Recognize their office and treat them accordingly. You can compare 1 Corinthians 16.18 with reverence and with lib uh, liberality in supplying their needs in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. I could give you more quotes, but that should suffice in showing you that that's what this word is about. It's not only showing appreciation as we normally understand it, but it also has to do with respect and honor of a particular uh, spiritual gift, in this case, pastor-teacher, and it has authority with it. God does not expect nor allow believers to disassociate themselves from authority in the spiritual realm. That is why he gave the spiritual communication gifts of apostleship and pastor-teacher. The Bible compares church-age believers with sheep who need a shepherd. Now, the spiritual gift of apostleship is no more. 
regardless of what the Catholic Church may say, it ended when those first century apostles died. It was not passed on. But there is another spiritual gift that was active then and is still active now, and that is the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher. An apostle had authority over pastors in a local church. When one of the apostles would come in, if we just could fast forward back to the first century, and I was going to teach tonight, and all of a sudden, knock on the door, who is Oh, it's Apostle Paul. Oh, okay. What would I do? I would sit down and grab a notepad and a pencil, and I'd be ready to learn. And he would be doing the teaching. He had authority over pastors. But now there are no apostles, and so the pastor-teacher now is the authority in a local church. And throughout the Bible, over and over and over again, it uses the comparison of a pastor or a shepherd and the sheep. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. Shepherd. This is a verb. It's not a noun. It's poimanio, and it means to tend, to feed, to lead, or rule. Shepherd the flock of God among you. This is Paul talking to pastors. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain. Sordid gain was, is what you would see on some of the televangelists. When you go on TV, people like Benny Hinn and uh, what's that uh, guy from Dallas? Um, <coughs> oh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's in California. Anyway, those guys are multi-millionaires. They own their own jets. They stay in hotels that are uh, several thousand dollars a night, that type of thing. That would be sordid gain. So he says, to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, won't you go to? I want you to underline that. Go to First Peter chapter five, especially when we're looking at verse uh, three. <clears throat> There's a lot in these in this verse, in these couple of verses here. One is when the first century church was operating. Do you know who taught the pastors? Who prepared them to be pastor teachers? It was the pastors that they had. Their pastor would would train them to be pastor teachers. They weren't. They didn't have seminaries like we have them today, or as Pastor Joe Griffin calls them, cemeteries. And there is there is a move. In fact, I had a printout. I was going to give some of the fellows uh, Sunday in our training session back there, and I left it on my printer. About the trend now is going away from the seminary training and having pastors themselves train the, the men for the ministry. And one reason is because the seminaries have become so liberal and they are so uh, undoctrinal that, that that's the move. Plus, it's very, it's, 
It's expensive. It's a, really a hardship. And now with the Internet and the uh, Bible software that we have, you can do a lot of training right at home or in a church. And anyway, it's going towards that, um, that direction. So again, let's start at the beginning. This is verse 2. Shepherd, a verb here, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. Uh, I'm not here because someone forces me to be here. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm here because I need to be here. I'm here because I need to teach like I need air to breathe. I think that's the way it is when you're when you have the spiritual gift of pastor teacher and you've been trained and you're prepared, you just that's what you do is is teach. I can remember when I was ordained at Baraka Church and we were sitting in the library there waiting to find out if we were going to be ordained, if we were going to be accepted or not. And they would we were just talking and they would say, Well, what what's going to happen if you didn't make it? And I said, I'm going to continue to teach. I cannot not teach. Got to do it. That's what I'm talking about. Compulsion. It's not from compulsion. It should be the same way with regards to giving. When you give to the to the church, or actually you're giving to the Lord, but when you're giving to the church, it's not from compulsion. It should be, well, in, in a way, outside pressure. It shouldn't be for that. It should be from an inner compunction or compulsion that you you just have to do it. You, you want to do it. You cannot not do it. That's what it should be. Not taking your wallet out and, and, and trying to get a bill out of there and you go. <clears throat> it shouldn't be like that. And that's a dollar bill. <laughs> not from compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for started gain, but with eagerness. Uh, the guys that I, that I have uh, lined up to come, they are eager. When I was at Austin Bible Church, one of them was setting up the podium for me, and I was talking to Pastor Bob about it, and I said, I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to uh, let you know for sure when, when this is going to take place. And I said, um, so, and one of them was standing there and said, doesn't matter to me. You just say when I'll be there. <laughs> you, would just, you could see the eagerness. That's the way it should be. With eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Now, I want you to underline allotted to your charge. That would suggest that there is a right congregation for a right pastor, a right flock for a right shepherd. And if you... People have asked me before, well, how do you know if you're in the right church or not? I say, if you're in the right church, you'll know it. Nor yet, as lording it over those allotted to your charge, that's what pastors aren't to be bullies, but proving to be examples to the flock. See, here we have talking about the flock, and in context, this is always referring to a sheep. And when the chief shepherd appears... Underline that chief shepherd. Who is the chief shepherd? 
Jesus Christ. All of us pastors are under-shepherds. I think that there's a proper comparison here, at least one that is similar. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But those who are the metakoi, the overcomers, those who reach spiritual maturity and hold the high ground all the, until the end, whether it's the end of their life or to when Jesus Christ returns, they are going to be servant kings in the millennium. Jesus Christ is the king, but all of us have the opportunity to be servant kings. I guess for the ladies it would be servant queens. And that is comparable to having the chief shepherd and other pastors now have our under shepherds. And when the chief shepherd appears, you could go ahead and put a little notation there. Rapture. That's when the chief shepherd is going to appear to us. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is a crown that, uh, which is a reward that is going to be offered to faithful pastors. The crown isn't based on how big your church is. It's based on a pastor's faithfulness in protecting and providing for the sheep. I'm glad about that. You know why? Because I don't have to worry about trying to go through all the shenanigans in order to get a bigger crowd. Long time ago, uh, when this church didn't have anything but just this one little part here, and there was a wall right there. So there's just this one first front section. That was it. And we had about, I guess it was 25 people, sometimes maybe 30, for about 10 years. And I was, it, always there would be a temptation. Well, we need to get the church bigger. We've been here for 10 years and we've got 25 people still. But I, I learned, and, and uh, Colonel R.B. Theme helped me recognize this, that whatever is the positive volition in your area, if you're teaching accurate and consistently, that's, that's the positive volition that God has given to you. That is the flock that he has allotted to you. And I said, that's fine with me. If that's what it is, that's what it is. And it took all the pressure off of me. The only thing is I would have people come to me from time to time and say, it's your fault that the church isn't growing. Oh, yeah, because you're too, you're too uh, mean. <laughs> you're too harsh. Uh, you're, you're too strong or you're, you're this, that, or other thing. And I had to get past that myself. I had to get to a point to where I thought, now, wait a minute, I know what I'm teaching is accurate. I know I'm doing it faithfully. I'm here every time. And I had to recognize and I had to tell a few people that if a person uh, is really positive towards the Word of God, I can't run them off. 
And if they're not positive to the Word of God, I can't make them stay. Because it's not about me. My job is just to crank out the doctrine accurately and consistently. And if a person is truly hungry for the Word, if I am their right pastor, they're going to stick with it through thick or thin. And if they are not my, if, if I'm not their right pastor, they're not sheep of this flock, I can't make them stay. And that also took pressure off of me. And now, well, we have three or four times as many chairs as we used to have, which I never thought would happen. And I can look back now with hindsight, and there's another thing, ingredient also that I might have forgotten or left out, and that is I had to be ready for a bigger church. There's a lot more responsibility and decisions the bigger the church is. You have to have the administration in place. You have to have the people in the right places. You have to have a board of deacons that are behind you. And, and it, when all of that is, is right, it works like a clock and it's wonderful. But it took me time to mature. And I, I don't know. It's, I'm just looking again back on hindsight. And maybe after about 15 years of being in the ministry, the Lord said, okay, now he can handle it. I'm going to bring in more people. Possibly that's what happened. I'm not sure. But I do know there is a right flock for a right pastor and vice versa. And this is a motivation for all pastors, or should be, would be the crown of glory. And that is by feeding the flock. Revelation chapter 2, verse 27 says, And he, this is referring to Christ, shall rule... With a rule them with a rod of iron. But what a lot of people don't understand that that word there is poimanio, P-O-I-M-A-I-N-O, which is the verb form of poimino, which means pastor teaches, translated pastor or shepherd. You know, when, when, you, when you hear uh, the word pastor is poimino in the Greek. And most people think, okay, that's normally it could be translated as shepherd or pastor. But that's the word. Do you see? My point is that there is authority and there is rulership that goes with that word. Most people wouldn't associate pastor or shepherd. The same word here, this is the, the verb form. This is the same word here. See up here, porminio for shepherd. And it could also be, be uh, pastor. Pastor can be a noun or it can be a verb. Here we have in Revelation 2.27, And he, Christ, shall rule them or pastor them with a rod of iron. You know why he's going to rule with a rod of iron? Because he is going to set things straight when he comes back and he's not going to put up with nonsense. He's going to be fair. He's going to be, of course, perfectly righteous. But there's going to be a lot of people in the millennium that are not want to go that will not want to go along with the program, and he's not going to put up with nonsense. That's why he is going to rule our pastor with a rod of iron. I thought that was interesting that that word was used in that context. I did a word search on poimanio, and I found that, and I thought, hmm, I didn't know that. I didn't know that word was there, but it does illustrate the point. 
Sometimes the word pastor is used instead of shepherd. The word is used figuratively to represent the relation of rulers to their subjects and of God to his people. Over and over, Abraham and, and uh, Isaac and Jacob and David, and uh, there's so many of them that at one time in their life were pastors. They were looking over the sheep. Now, I'm going to give you a little warning here. You're not going to like this next part, but I have to teach what's there, and I'm not trying to be conceited. I'm just trying to show you the, what this verse is teaching. That there, there is a relationship between a shepherd and the flock or a pastor and his flock. <clears throat> Where did I get this? Let's see. I got this from Easton's Bible Dictionary under shepherd. It says, The duties of a shepherd in an unenclosed country like Palestine were very onerous. In early morning, he led the led forth the flock from the fold, marching as it as its head to the spot where they were to be pastured. See, there you have pasture in the verb form. Here he watched them all day, taking care that none of the sheep strayed, and if any, if any, for a time eluded his watch and wandered away from the rest, seeking diligently till he found and brought them back. In those lands, sheep required to be supplied regularly with water, and the shepherd, uh, for this purpose, had to guide them either to some running streams or to wells dug in the wilderness and furnished with troughs. At night, he brought the flock home to the fold, counting them as they passed under the rod. That is, he would have a rod there, a small door. And as they went in, he would count each one of them. He knew how many was supposed to be there. If there was one short or two short, he'd have to leave them there and go out and find them. Often he had to... Let's see, uh, where, where did I stop at the rod? Charles, counting them as... Okay, here it is, at the rod. To assure himself that none were missing. Nor did his labors always end with sunset. Often he had to guard the foe through the dark hours from the attack of wild beasts are the wily attempts of the prowling thief. Now, the reason I said you wouldn't like it is because of all creatures that the Bible compares the church to, the people, are sheep. A, a, a sheep is the most defenseless creature there is. God gave every other animal nearly some kind of uh, sense or some type of apparatus to defend themselves. But a poor sheep can't find water. He has no sense with regards to direction. He has no defense with regards to um, being able to protect himself from predators. Uh, He's he just really a, a defenseless, and they need someone to take care of. Sheep without a shepherd are like those who have strayed from God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and Mark 6, 34. And shepherd are compared to spiritual overseers. This was from uh, Harper's Bible Dictionary. So we have this sheep and shepherd comparison. Now, uh, some people reject the idea, they don't like the idea of being called sheep. 
because sheep are kind of stinky too. <laughs> if you've ever been around them. And uh, so th- this is offensive to some people. But we have to look. This, I didn't make this comparison. God made the comparison. It's all through the Bible. And I'm required to teach it, so I'm saying this is the comparison. Now, a believer without a pastor teacher is like a sheep without a shepherd. Now, just think for a moment. If he wasn't watching them every moment, he had to watch them all day long, they would just wander off. They just they don't know where they're going. Just, they just wander off. They get lost. Predators would circle. They can't find water. They don't know. They don't have a sense with regards to where the grass is, where the... Uh, the, eat, the, the food would be. I might bowl that. I think that needs to be emboldened. Can I do it right here? Yeah, where's my bowl? There you go. He is vulnerable to predators, which would be false teachers, to becoming malnourished, that would be little or no doctrinal intake, and getting lost, which would be spiritually confused. People without a spiritual authority become eclectics. Do you all know what an eclectic is? An eclectic is a person that just picks and chooses certain things. He becomes an eclectic, <clears throat> acquiring a hodgepodge of confounding and conflicting doctrines from differing sources who disagree with each other. Now, how, how stable can your theology be if you're... This is what people do these days so often. They'll go onto the Internet. And on the Internet, you can find some wonderful, doctrinally sound things. What else can you find? A plethora of nonsense and just false doctrines. So an eclectic would be a person that, I'm master, I can read the Bible for myself. Take a little bit, take some from this guy, just coming back and complete some sort of guy. I can read scripture, and that he is under he is the ten church. He used ten to the authority of their pastor. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. So the next pastor over me can read it. I don't like that. In the Bible, why don't you read Hebrews thirteen? See, reading to authority is an integral part of starting much from the view of anything. Then you are like a sheep that has strayed from the fold. I've been going kind of slow on this, but when I take my hand off, appreciate they. Now, we one word. I have to put on this. Excuse me, the perfect tense. Listen and learn. You to diligently labor. And the word means weariness as though one had been beaten, to become very weary, tired, or fatigued from exertion. This is primarily referred to pastor teachers, but it also applies to others who have leadership positions in the church. They take on the hard work along with the responsibility too. And they should be respected and appreciated. This also goes for those who do not have leadership roles but still exert their spiritual gifts as unto the Lord and especially unto exertion. Let me tell you something. We have some wonderful believers in this church that literally work to exhaustion. And 95% of the people in this church 
don't even know it. They're not aware of it. I see it because I come in and I see them when they're here making trips during the middle of the day or staying here till wee hours of the night. There is so much that it takes for even a small church like this to operate and to have those spiritual gifts working and people not clamoring in order to have any type of recognition. They're doing it as unto the Lord. They should have respect. They should be honored. And if a church is functioning properly, the people will have the appreciation. Not only for the... I'm the visible one. That's just the nature of it. I have to stand before you. I mean, I don't have to, but when I do stand before you, I'm like the quarterback on a football team. The quarterback gets all the glory. Everybody knows who the quarterback is. In fact, in in, uh, some of these announcements for a a professional football game, they'll they'll say that it's going to be, um, what's the guy for the Colts? Um, Manning. Manning against, uh, what's another one for the uh, Florida? Um, Y'all aren't football fans, are you? What's his name? Okay, TiVo. Okay, TiVo. In other words, they'll say the quarterback's name as if those are the two that are playing, as if they're, they're, they're the only ones. Everybody knows their names, but they don't know the poor guard or tackle that his name is never mentioned, never gets any write-up in the press. But if that guard or tackle that's on the line, especially the offensive line, they never get any credit. If he wasn't doing his job, that quarterback wouldn't make one yard. And I'm trying to make that comparison to the local church as well. I'm the quarterback. And when you, the quarterback gets all the press and everybody knows who he is. But the quarterback can't do his job if the rest of the team is not doing their job. And that's just as true in a church as it is on a football team or anything else. It is a team effort. And I want to say uh, for all of you publicly that I am very proud of the team that we have here at Country Bible Church. They go beyond the call. And there's so many issues and so many problems, so many things that need to be taken care of. A lot of Sometimes there are things I don't even know about because they're out there seeing that it gets done. I can focus on preparing messages and taking care of my job because I don't have all the administration things to do. It's taken care of. When I come in here on a Sunday morning, I come in here and sit down. That's all I have to do. All I have to do is sit down and everything's taken care of. That means I'm focused. I don't have to be over here on the computer thinking, let me tell you, if I had to get all this computer business done, I would have forgot about where my focus was. Sometimes the Lord doesn't give me what to say until a minute before I get up and stand up and say it. I don't always know what I'm going to say. But if I'm over here trying to do the computer, uh, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get the message. You know, uh, all the things that are happening, that have, the, the, the nursery and the young, the young people's class and uh, a whole host of things. The, the outside, the, the, the yard, the grounds. Uh, somebody's got to pay the bills. Somebody's got to... Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And those people aren't doing it in order to be recognized. But let me tell you something. They need to be appreciated because this is what this verse is all about. It includes me, but I'm, I'm, it's not the focus. I'm not trying to make the focus me. 
focus I'm trying to show you is are these people... I'm not mentioning any names because there would be so many names to name and they're not in it for the recognition anyway. But people come to this church and usually it's 80% of the people do nothing. 20% of the people do everything. The rest, 80%, just come down and sit down. I'm here to be served. Go ahead and serve me. I'm here. I want it cool. I want to make sure that the electric bill is paid so that we won't, uh, the air conditioner won't turn off in the middle of the service. And I want the grounds looking good. I want to make sure that we have the, the uh, hymnals and the, and the um, bulletins are all passed out. Uh, I, I want to make sure everything is done for me because I'm here to be served. Is that what the Bible says about what we should be doing? Every person, every not every person, but every believer has a spiritual gift. And I know I'm pe- preaching to the choir. <laughs> I'm looking at the faces of people that do so much. And that's why it is in nearly every church. So many people take things for granted. They don't have the proper appreciation, respect, gratitude. And this is what Paul is saying. Those who work diligently. And I thank the people who I've seen. I've come here during the day. What are you doing here? Well, such and such needed to be done. And I, you know, here I am. People staying late at night. The deacons, you know, they, they have all this on their plate. They have to meet. They stay here. The wives, a lot of times, are, you know, they have to wait till this is over. It's not like it's just an inconvenience. They do it because they know it needs to be done, and they've stepped forward and say, "Who will do it? I'm here, Lord. I'll do it." And I just, I just hope that others will be inclined to want to do whatever they can, because the church is not just a team; it's a family. What happens in a family if somebody doesn't pull their weight? Somebody else has to pull it, don't they? Jobs have to get done. So when it says, those who diligently labor among you, that's what I'm talking about. I'm out of time or just right at it. I'll end on this. CBC has so many believers who spend long hours working hard to take care of the needs of this church. They go unnoticed for the most part by the congregation but certainly not by God. That would be a good place to end. Father, thank You for this time that You've given us to remember what's really important in life, that we all are subordinate to authority. You are the ultimate authority. And we all need to be humble enough to do that submitting in order to learn and grow. And we need to recognize and have appreciation for those who work diligently in exercising their spiritual gift and that they, they should be encouraged to know that whether other people take notice or not, you certainly are. And we do it all unto you anyway because of the grace that you've given us. It's the least that we could do. So we pray that you will motivate us to use our spiritual gift to the maximum and have proper respect and regard for others. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.